0: Praise the Lord. Good morning, all. Turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 31. For those of you here for the first time, this is the concluding week, the last week, in a series about hearing from God. You hearing from God. Scripture says this, My sheep hear my voice. So if you don't hear God's voice, what are you? (laughs) My sheep? Hear my voice. It's not confusing. So if you do not hear the voice of God, I make no apology for being forthright with that. If you do not hear the voice of God, there's something wrong. There's something wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with God. He's speaking loud and clear. Scripture says, God does speak, now in this way, now in that way. But in Job it says, but the problem is with the people. The people do not perceive it. They do not pick it up. So this is the fifth week looking at this critical topic. You know, I, was, I apologize, Pastor Rick. We thought he would be here today. So for some of you who are trans, this is double portion for you. Uh, that won't do you any harm. Amen. Let, let me read this. Let me read this. Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 10. This is Moses speaking. God speaking through Moses to the people. Then Moses commanded them. At the end of every seven years, good bit of advice, in the year for cancelling debts, during the festival of tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God, at the place he will choose, you shall read this law before them in their hearing. Assemble the people, men, women, and children, and foreigners, (coughs) residing in your towns, so that they can listen and learn to fear the Lord. There are people here who God delivered from other lands. There are foreigners who were under persecution, who were struggling in many nations. And God had delivered them. He had set them free. He had brought them into the promised land. They were experiencing victory. But with that victory came many problems. Many uh, presumptions. Many things that these same people who were blessed... Many things that these people were going to take for granted. Now, it's not I mean, that's a physical example of moving nations. But it's equally a spiritual example of of we who have been saved. So, eyes forward, give me your full attention. God blessed Israel. God blessed the people. He gave them the land. He gave them victory. He's a good, good, good God. But God could see our all-wise God, could see they're not going to keep it. They're not wise enough to keep it. They're not smart enough to keep it. They're not strong enough to keep the victory that I've given them. Because they're going to stop fearing me. And when they stop fearing me, they're going to lose their blessing. They're going to lose the land. They're going to get kicked out of the land. So God says to Moses, every seven years... Why don't you gather all the people, the indigenous people and all the foreigners who have been brought into your land. Every seven years, gather them together and you remind them of this. Never forget to fear the Lord. Never forget the fear of the Lord because it is that that enables you to keep a hold of the blessings that God has already given you. Are you with me? So today's message, two parts, about fear and friendship. But this message is not about, or the the, the word today is not about getting myself into a place where I fear God. I hope you've already done that. The message is about staying there. The message is about remembering to maintain and to retain that same fear that we have for God. Like any relationships... We have a saying, I don't know if it translates well. Familiarity. Breeds Absolutely. True or false? True. Totally true. Familiarity breeds contempt. And, you know, unfortunately, many Pentecostal circles can be cozy with God. Well, I don't see Paul being cozy with God. I don't see Moses being cozy with God. I don't see the 12 apostles behaving like that or the prophets. And we've got to be careful of the culture of our day, that it doesn't affect our perspective on fear, our understanding of a healthy fear of God. I repeat, in case somebody missed it, if you cease to fear God, you're going to lose the blessings that he has given you. That's the warning from Moses. So whilst you can read that scripture and say, oh, God wants me to be frightened of him. What a crazy perspective. That's not the the motivation. The motivation in God's heart is I want you to stay blessed. And the only way you're going to stay blessed is if you continue not to be over-familiar with me, but if you continue to fear me. I saw a documentary about the Queen, about Buckingham Palace. And the Queen had a butler who had been with her for something like 42 years. Imagine being a butler for 42 years, man. That's, you know, When I saw that, I was very impressed with the Queen. I thought it was very good of her. She kept that guy all that time. And I was very impressed with the man as well, because this is a two-way deal. They had to uh, somehow construct a relationship that wasn't too close and wasn't too far. And by doing so, he was able to keep that position that he gained for all that time. Well, God is perfect in where he stands. God is perfect in his approach to me. It is me and me alone, right? It is us who need to consider how we respect him, how we still honour him today. And at the end of this service, I'm glad we're having communion today because I want you to reflect over your perspective on, on fearing God. I want us to think back over the years about how we have maybe changed In ways that we should not have changed. Maybe the way in which the cultures in which we live, like this country, can affect us negatively and we can't let that happen. That's the story of Israel. That's what began their demise. Romans chapter 3, verse 18. Romans chapter 3, verse 18. I'm sorry to say this, but this is a a description of much of the United Kingdom. It's a description of Ukraine this morning. Romans chapter 3, verse 18. There is no fear of God. What does it say? Before their, Before their eyes. eyes. Describing a people type. Could I have my first series of slides? In fact, guys, could you just take about five or six sec- uh, seconds on each slide? What's this? This is actually, just pause here a moment. This is London. London's burning. You remember? Yeah. A few years ago, Everything looks so calm. Everything looks so serene. Lovely summer. Everybody's happy. It's a great safe place, this UK. UK, okay, la, right. And then all of a sudden, the lid comes off. And all of a sudden, you get these guys coming out in their tens of thousands, office workers. Shop staff. I mean, you probably saw the 3,200 and something people who were arrested I mean, people training to be solicitors. People doing, and it was shocking. I thought you were law-abiding. I thought you were just like everybody else. But suddenly, as Pastor Alex was saying, suddenly the spirit changed. And when the spirit over the city changed, it shook things up. And the real demons began to come out of the woodwork. And this nation was shocked By the numbers. They were on street... Just stop right there. Just hold this slide a second. I don't know about you, but it drove me insane when I began to watch that day whenever the gangs began to burn the house. Remember they were burning the property? What did the police do? They did nothing. They did absolutely nothing. Here we go. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Here we have police vans. And if you roll this video, it's not there. But if if you follow this, what happens next? They smash the police vans to smithereens. They set them on fire. It doesn't start with God, you see. There's no fear of man. This is a telltale sign of the future of the UK. And if we do not pray more and pull down these principalities and powers, this same lawlessness that you see directed towards people will be directed towards God. Outright rebellion when there is no fear. Now this country is barmy. I don't think that word translates either. Crazy. Nuts when it comes to the law. You can commit crime upon crime. And as a pastor, i spent many times in courtrooms where Oh, you're just staggered. I'm shocked at the behavior of the judges when people have committed very serious crimes and the victims are there. Our society has more care for the criminal than they do for the victim. And it happens again and again and again. That's called lawlessness. Lawlessness. Okay? It's the opposite of fearing God. It's the exact opposite. And our world, the nations, are turning that way, becoming increasingly lawless. And we, as Christians, need to be embracing the fear of God, which is the opposite of, of what you've seen there. Right? That's how we contradict it, that's how we countermand it. I was thinking back over the years. I had excellent parents, and my wife did the same. Our parents were nearly identical people, to be honest. Her dad was just like my dad. Her mom was just like my mom. Uh, and we were very blessed to have them. Both of our parents were hallmark with one thing the fear of God. Definitely. It was, you know, that's a long time ago. It was a different generation. And I struggle to find the same fear. Is it just me? I struggle to find that now. As I even spend time with, with, with pastors of any age, I don't see in many of the men of God, many of the pastors I know, some of them very significant people, but I still don't see the fear of God I saw in my dad. Funny that. Funny that. Where would you get that from, Dad? How would you get that, man? That was Fantastic. She had a friend called Dillis. My wife, Jeanette, had a friend called Dillis. Uh, And Dillis uh, was part of that generation. They were actually best friends. And Dillis and Dan, her husband, had one child called Hannah. And they went to Greece on holiday when Hannah was nine years old. And they took a fellow school friend, another nine-year-old girl with them, and they got into their holiday apartment, which was on, I think it was the sixth or seventh floor. And there was a little veranda and the two girls stepped out to look out at the view, and the veranda collapsed, and both girls fell seven floors. One girl lived, the other girl lived, It uh, was quite a miracle, but Hannah was smashed and died there. And they had to get her body back to the UK, and Jeanette was a comforter to Dillas for decades after that death, used to ring her every year on the child's birthday and everything else, and they became even closer through the child's death. However, one day, uh, Jeanette put her foot in it. She really made a mistake in something she said. She was talking to Dillas, the mother, and she said, Dilys, did you ever get angry at God? Did you ever blame God for the the death of your child? And Dillis' reaction was not what Jeanette expected. How dare you say What did you just say? Do you think I would blame God? God? Do you think any human being can ever blame God? What are you thinking about? What kind of perspective is that to have? No, I never, never, ever thought to blame my God. He's never done me any harm. He saved me. Don't think like that. And she was discipling her. She was helping her to see. That woman had such a, a, an inbuilt, structural fear of God in her thinking process, that it, a bit like Job, that it didn't enter her mind. That's a good understanding of God. Amen. Amen? And we've seen others. We've seen miracles in history more recently, like the Lockerbie bomb with the dad there whose daughter was killed as well. He did the same thing refused, had such an awesome reverence for God, understanding of God, that he wouldn't even let the thought take every thought captive. That's worldly thinking, not biblical thinking. Very good. Very good. And it makes me think, you know, how far have I drifted in my life from fearing God? How far have I drifted? How much is society and life affecting me? And to what degree am I going with the flow? If I do that, I'm going to lose my blessing. So, the point, Deuteronomy chapter 31. God sees that he wants to bless these people, but he knows the reason they're going to lose their blessing is because they're going to lose fear of God. And if I let this slip in my life, God doesn't want it, but the person who pays the biggest price is me. Me. Because every victory he gives me, if I cease to fear him, I run the high risk of losing that victory. The most repeated admonition in the whole Bible is fear the Lord. More than any other thing, that's the scripture that gets repeated and repeated and repeated. So it's something that we should be living with as a, intelligently, knowing why we cultivate that. We foster it within ourselves and keep it active and living. Now, you have the next slide there, please. turn to John's Gospel, chapter 7 and verse 17. I'll deal with fear first and then we'll deal with friendship and look at the contrast between the two and how both of them are interrelated in terms of our hearing. John chapter 7 and verse 17. I'm going to go through a list of blessings that come to you if you keep fearing God. On Friday night, Daniel, this is the scripture I was actually looking for. Remember, I was trying to find the one where they said, but this is the wrong version. Um, Look at this. John chapter 7, verse 17. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. God help us with versions of the Bible. There's a version of the Bible that says it this way. eyes, Eyes forward. There's a version of the Bible that says it like this. When you do these things, then you will know. When you obey me, then you will discover things. Then the world will open up to you. There are certain promises that God gives you if you keep fearing him purposefully, intentionally. The first one is that it will bring knowledge. Now, I mention, forgive me for mentioning my dad so often, but he's a major part of my life. Even though he's been dead a long time now, I guess. It says it brings knowledge. My father was not a smart guy at all. Not smart at all. He was not intelligent. He had no education. But he's one of the wisest guys I ever met. Very wise. Very wise. And even though all my brothers and sisters got their massive qualifications, when you sat in his presence, you soon forgot your qualifications, I can tell you. Because wisdom trumps smartness every day. Right? A very quiet response. I said, wisdom! Trump's smartness every day. And I quizzed over that. I looked at my father. I looked at his enormous standing. His spiritual standing. His depth of knowledge in God. His depth of relationship with God. That none of the family had. With all their smarts. None of them had the precious jewel. None of them had that which was priceless. He had it. And I think to myself, Dad, how did you get that? Well scripture tells me doesn't it If you fear God you will obey God and when you obey God you understand you get knowledge You follow that If you fear God you will obey God and when you do these things John 7:17 7, when you do these things then suddenly you get a depth of knowledge Something you can't get in the world. And that's what my father had. See that promise when the Bible says, if you fear the Lord, it will bring knowledge to you. It's true. It's true. If you fear Him, you obey Him. And the end result of that is revelation, insight, wisdom, understanding. Priceless things. Secondly, it says if you fear the Lord, it will lead you to hate evil. Do I hate evil? No, I don't. Sorry, folks. I wish I could say that I did. Many of you may say that you do. Congratulations. Well done. Fantastic. Good for you. I prefer to tell you the truth. (laughs) All right. I'm not like my dad. Not like my father. Not yet. Not yet. And that's what's different. I will resist sin. I will fight sin. Like you my dad hated sin. That's the difference. Do you understand me? Yeah. And that's where I need to get to. That was my role model. And scripture says that when you maintain a fear of the Lord, eventually over time, it cultivates the same appetite as God. We'll come to it in a moment with King David, who's the Bible's greatest example of exactly that. Number three, fearing the Lord, it promises he will prolong your life. Number four, it gives you confidence because if you fear God, you've got no one else to fear. Scripture describes the fear of God as a fountain of life and promises that it will bring wealth into your life. So these are promises, I guess, not one of us can do without, right? You need these things in your life. You need them as a roof. You need them as a protection over yourself. And I'm just saying, Scripture traces every one of them back to the same root. That if you maintain your fear of the Lord, you can maintain also these blessings. Have you ever had a Christian friend and you see a characteristic, a quality in them that you like? A good thing. You meet someone and they're very patient or they're very loving or you see a quality and you think, Man, I really would like to be that person's friend. And I'd really like to rub shoulders with them and try and just, by osmosis, you know, get that characteristic into me. That's what David was like with God. And many of us fear God, amen, no problem. Love God, serve God, praise God. But David is an exceptional individual, counted as the greatest king by the Jews... For this reason, David wanted yeah, sorry. David wanted to be like him. David liked God. Not just love him, not just fear him, not just worship him, not just thank him. David liked the characteristics of God. The Bible puts it like this. He was a man after, 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 seeking God, seeking that intimacy with God. And did he achieve it? Absolutely he achieved it. Not only did David achieve an intimacy with God that surpassed every other king, that even the throne in Israel is called the throne of David. Okay? So he's a very exceptional individual who got into a place of intimacy and friendship with God, the likes of which you and I can only dream of. But thank God, David not only got there... Next slide, please. But he gave us a list of how he got there. In Psalm 15. I'll read it, actually. Turn to Psalm 15. Psalm chapter 15. A very short psalm, but a very powerful and important psalm. Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who who may live in your holy mountain? Who's going to get close to God, right? And David did. And then he explains how he did it. The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander, gossip, who does a neighbor no harm, who casts no slur on others, who despises a vile person, but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind, who lends money to the poor but without interest, etc., etc., etc. David gives, I'll choose just five of the principal points that he makes about how he managed, if you like, how he got there, what the journey included. David says, Who will grow in friendship with God? Number one, a person whose walk is blameless, not sinless. Not sinless. David wasn't sinless. But the first two are very similar. When David committed a sin, he would go before God. And he would say, I'm guilty. I'm guilty of what you say, God. I am. Hand up. That's what the blameless bit is. David said, if I concealed my sin, I did not prosper. He knew that. He understood that. And some of us, I'm afraid, Christians can be so deluded, so self-deceived, that, you know, you don't, you, you don't know yourself. You listen to some people talk. You don't know yourself. You're in cuckoo land. That's not you. It's not the real you. You're deluded. And what David is getting at here is, you need to get real about you. You need to get honest about who you are, what you are, and tell the whole truth. Because this is the person who enters in to that friendship, that depth of relationship with God. Amen? Be honest, and goodness knows in this day and age, that's not as difficult, I think, as it has been historically. Because today, people are probably much more open. We live in an age of communication and openness. So today, we are really without excuse on this front. You can be very blunt, very honest, very open, and I think you should be. But be that with yourself. Be honest with yourself. There's a lot of deluded people, self-deceived people in churches, and it's unhealthy. The third one, everywhere I turn when I study hearing, we've been studying hearing for five weeks. Everywhere I turn when I study hearing, I hit point three again. (laughs) With the scriptures and teaching and guidance, gossip just won't go away. Because remember, what we say affects what we hear. What we say, my sheep, hear my voice. What we say affects what we hear. These two things are much more close than maybe you have ever perceived before. So I ask you guard your speech. And your ears will look after themselves. Right? Major player here. Thank God we as a church don't have a problem with gossip as such. Certainly not as much as, as others. Hallelujah. <laughs> um, I was telling the guys. I, I, I woke up one day. Woke up in Dublin uh, early in the morning. And God spoke to me. Very clear. Loud clear word. You know. Not mistakeable. Um, and he named two women in the church and he said to me, this woman and this woman are both gossiping about you. Ah, God told on them. <laughs> so I got up, you get my phone and I rang the first one. Ah, good morning, good morning. Can you come to the church today? Yeah? Okay, I'll meet you there. I rang the second woman. Can you come in as well, please? So, I, it's a big long church in Dublin and I got them down at the front on the platform the first woman comes in and she's terrified you know, thinking what have I done, what have I done what have I done, what, what's going to happen and she comes in and she sits down and I just gave it straight to her I said woke up this morning, I'm very accustomed to hearing from God, I know when it might be God and I know when it's God and today it was God and you're not going to believe what he said to me <laughs> he said you're gossiping about me well she nearly had a heart attack <laughs> But listen, the reason I called you here is because I want to tell you, you don't need to do that. You don't know me. If you knew me well enough, there's no way you would feel the need to do that. Because you can talk to me. If you've got any problem whatsoever, I promise you, give it to me. Let me have it. I'll deal with it. So, if you carry on like that, you've lost your fear of me. You've lost your fear somewhere. And the person who's going to suffer, trust me in this, believe me in this, the person who's going to suffer here is not me. I promise you that. The person who's going to suffer here is going to be you. Now, please work with me. Well, to her credit, she just started to spill the beans. You understand that expression? Yeah. She just started to talk. <laughs> and she told me, uh, you know, this is what I said, and, uh, and I wasn't comfortable, and my, my, you know, my life hasn't been right with God because I was angry at you. Yeah, 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 come on. Good, 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 good. Get it out. And any other problem comes up. The second woman, a little bit more difficult, you know. A little bit more difficult. But I warn you, folks, when it comes to hearing, as you'll see in a moment, eh, all of you listen to me. You do not gossip. You do not gossip about your pastors, your leaders, your disciples, your friends, your family. You do not get involved in gossip. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Amen. Pastors, you may not be aware of this, but the pastors here would vouch with me, I'm sure. We get very sensitive on this. Super sensitive. In Matthew's Gospel, it says this. When the Pharisees came, Jesus could read their thoughts. Well, sorry, Matthew 14. Je- Jesus, it says, Jesus knew their thoughts when they were coming. Look, friends, let me give you... I shouldn't tell you this. This is a secret. Don't tell anybody else. <laughs> say I'm talking to Ian. So Ian and I are having a great conversation. I, hunky-dory. I, I say, See you next week. And Ian goes home. And then next week comes and Ian walks in. He's different. I pick it up from 100 yards. His attitude to me is different. Now, I haven't even seen him. <laughs> you never entered my mind. So what's changed, huh? Who have you been talking to, buddy? What conversations have taken place that's caused you to be distant from me? And pastors get super, super, super sensitive with this. Because it's our job. Because gossip is cancer. It's the cancer of the church. And it doesn't mean you have to deal with it. But a million times in my life, someone will walk into the church and instantly I will know typically the conversation. Right? I don't know. I can see Pastor Alex laughing. <laughs> you do. You, maybe you don't believe that. But I tell you, it's part of. It. it goes with the job. It goes with the job. And God reveals things to you, not to expose people, but to bless people and to help them get out of those wonky ways, because if they get into this, they're going to lose their blessing. Nice and simple. So be very careful. I was able to restore both women. We lost neither of those women. I was able to restore both those women and educate them not to cooperate in ways that will pull their lives down. Proverbs. The foolish wife tears her own house down with with her words. She doesn't need a hammer. With her words. With her speech. So be careful of this one, folks. The next one. This is equally important. (coughs) David, <coughs> excuse me. David says that he was able to achieve intimacy with God, friendship with God, because David honored those who honored God. And this is a, a mega principle. It's a, what you would call a life principle. Every one of us, again, if just you get this piece right, it can take you a very long way in the Christian life. I don't like disrespect of my leaders. Very often, members have considered me to be a creep. You know what a creep is? Yeah. Give me another word for creep. A nice one. Yeah. V- v- very often, you can see him as a creep. You can see him as this, that, and the other. I don't... I tell you what, I don't care a tuppence what you think. I don't care a tuppence what you think about me. Not, not one second. You think I'm going to let you ruin my future with God? Because I obey my leaders? You must be kidding. I advise you to have no respect for the opinions of men on these issues. David could have done that in the cave when he got the chance to kill Saul. And he could have thought, well, what are the men going to think of me? But David understood this point right here. I will honour those who honour God. Years ago, when I first got saved, thank you, John, when I first got saved, I was due to get baptised. We're getting a little cue of water here. Praise the Lord. That's okay. When I I first got saved, I was due to be baptised, and we had a very good pastor, an excellent guy. His name was Byron. And at the same time that I got saved, my flatmate got saved at the same time. His name was Declan, Irish as well. And we were due to be baptised, and like any baptism candidate, you have a time with your pastor. Right. So he comes to the house, and he was coming to our flat. Now, we're two single bachelors. You can understand what the apartment's like. Amen. Amen. I got up that morning and I started to Hoover, clean, polish, reorganize everything, tidy up. I went to the shop. I got biscuits, tea, milk, coffee. And Declan's lying back on the settee, and I come back and he's got a very mocking, sarcastic look on his face. Mike, what are you doing? I'm getting ready for Baron. Baron's coming today, you know, your pastor, you know. He's just an ordinary guy. Don't fuss. And he gave me such a look, you know. And I felt sorry for him. I said, Declan, they're not good. I promise you, it's not good. You honour those who honour God. Byron teaches us every week, goes before God. And you hear from God through him. How can you then disrespect like this? Ridiculous. When was the last time I got a phone call from Declan Jeanette? Liverpool. I, will, I remember the phone call. Are you in church? No. Do you go anywhere? No. Don't go in. I haven't gone anywhere for years. It began with disrespect for the person you can see. And it then ends up with disrespect for the God that you can't see. That's what 1 John says. So always mark. Pastor Johan, always mark. I know you do. Those who disrespect you, you can have little time for them. You tell them sit down shut up. Pastor Alex, same story. They need to respect you. They need to understand that. And collectively we need to install that as part of our church culture. I tell you, I travelled a lot in America and I give them top marks for this. This is something that is really understood in the States. Really understood very well. They understood the whole loyalty factor is way beyond what I see in Europe. Good in Asia as well. So be careful of that. Because God counts it, you know, when, the, when they criticised Moses, remember, oh, you know, it's no joke. Moses made loads of mistakes. And when the gang criticised him, what happened? Yeah, that was one occasion. The other occasion, the ground opened up and swallowed up 22,000 of them. God help us. Just be careful. Just be careful. If you don't accept that, you're not going to ascend the holy hill. If you don't accept that, If you're going to continue in worldly ways. And and, uh, I I challenge you folks. See this one. You need to honour those who honour God. If any of your friends are gossips or a negative impact on you, what do you need to do with that friend? You need to get away from that friend. So don't start talking to me about evangelism and I'm leading them to God. You're on the wrong road. Scripture says bad company corrupts good character. And if your friends are negative, if your friends speak badly about the church, they are slandering the bride of Christ. And if you are in their hearing and you maintain their friendship, you are a friend, right, with those who God despises. We just read there, who shall ascend the the holy hill, the one who despises that which is evil and receives that which is good. Now, if you reverse that, you will pay the penalty. And I know too many Christians, they're like sheep sheep, Stupid, dull sheep who sit in the presence of people who speak negatively or slander, like we read, slander and gossip, and think it has no effect on you. It has a major effect on you. David wasn't talking about himself. He said, who will ascend the hill? The one who doesn't keep the company. The one who doesn't make friends with those who are negative. Not just you, but also the company you keep. Are you with me? So we're starting to get up the hill. We're starting to get closer to God. By confessing our sin. By when being nailed, we will respond with the truth. I'm guilty. We accept it. We clear slander (coughs) and gossip from our lives. We honor those who honor God. And lastly, of course, we become merciful and just. As you know, there are many, you know, particularly in the Old Testament, many of the patriarchs, etc., who suffered greatly because they were not merciful. Because they were too hard, and God held them in judgment for that and didn't let them inherit what they were supposed to inherit. So that's the first half of your notes this morning. That's the fear part. And I, 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 I repeat, keep it as a life principle all the days of your life. But the second part is equally important... And that's the friendship part, and this is where you don't have to agree with me. But I, I plead with you to, to, to please just at least think about what I'm proposing to you. I don't agree with a lot of what you hear in our church circles about everybody being a friend of God. You know, we have the song, I, am a, I love that song, I am a friend of God, you know. Fine, no problem, but I, I do, it. well actually I do have a problem. I do have a problem with, 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 the, with that understanding because I think it's confused. Listen closely. When scripture talks about God loving people, it's, he uses that liberally. For God so loved the whole world. So the love of God is described in epic proportions. Global. For God so loved the whole world. However, when scripture talks about friendship. Intimacy, David, it doesn't use the same way. It's very specific. And if you read scripture carefully, you will see that there's actually very few people whom God counted his friends, Moses, right? Said there was no one else in all the earth like Moses. A man to whom God would speak face to face as a person does to his friend. So God isolates Moses and says, Moses is different from all these other... I love all those people. But there's something different in Moses. So don't blame me. God chooses one man and says, My friendship, my love is to you all. But my friendship was actually reserved for Moses for reasons you will see. Same with Abraham. Same with the 11 apostles, shall we say. Okay, so in my opinion... Love and friendship are two different things. Love in scripture is a broad term used to describe God's passionate love for mankind. But friendship is different. And you'll understand why I'm saying this in a moment in terms of hearing, which is our background topic. You see, folks, some of you maybe have several children. When those children get older, you love them. But they might not be a friend. The wrong word. You could have the friend slide up? What is a friend? A friend is someone I talk to. Someone I share with. Someone I tell secrets to. Someone I trust. Someone I share my problems and my passions with. Someone I'm happy to be vulnerable with. And often somebody that you like. Well, you've got children, say, for example. You love them? Yes or no? Yes! General concept. But the same children, you may not be able to describe them as your friends because you don't trust them. (laughs) You don't share with them. You don't tell them their secrets. They don't talk to you like that. That's not the relationship. It's not the relationship. It's a different description. This is important, as you'll see in a moment. I'm very delighted I overheard a conversation once. This woman was being asked about her husband. I can't remember the scenario, but They said, is your husband your friend? And the woman was kind of taken aback at the question and said, my husband, my friend? (laughs) No, no. She said, no, my husband's not my friend. But then she said this, oh, I love my husband. I adore my husband. I would never leave my husband. He's great. But friend, no, 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 he's not my friend. I've got friends. And I thought, now there's someone who actually understands How this thing works. Let me explain why I'm looking at it. Psalm chapter 25 verse 14. Psalm chapter 25 and verse 14. I'll quote it from another version because I'm having trouble with my versions. (coughs) Excuse me. Psalm chapter 25 verse 14. Friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear him. And with them, he shares the secrets of his covenant. Friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear him. Now, eyes forward, please understand. The series is about hearing from God. And you just read that. Friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear him. And to them he speaks. To them he speaks. They hear. They're the people who hear. Friendship with the Lord is reserved for people who fear Him. And it's to those people that He speaks. It's those people who hear from God. So everything that we've said up until this point should bring you to that terrifying conclusion. But listen folks, let me tell you something about us and our Pentecostal church culture. We, you, me, we are very good at getting down on our knees... And pouring out our heart to God. Telling Him everything that's wrong. Oh God, look at that. Oh God. Do this, do that. I need this, I need that. And we think that's friendship. We think it's intimacy. Not necessarily. Because friendship with God is seen in this. Not when you pray to Him as such. But when he talks to you, that's the difference. Eyes forward, full attention. Moses was a man whom God sought out to talk to. It was the other way around. Abraham was someone who God went to talk to. To tell him how he was feeling. God telling a man. Moses was a friend of God. So Moses heard from God. Abraham the same. The apostles the same. And when the apostles didn't hold up their side of the friendship, in the garden of Gethsemane, they all fell asleep. And he was going, I just said I no longer call your servants. I call your friends. Don't leave me now. I tell you this, folks. Those apostles couldn't help Jesus one jot. There's only one thing they could do. Be there. Just be there. That's all. That's all he wanted. He said, could you not watch with me for one hour as I go through this trial? He just wanted the friendship. You understand? Friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear him. And with them he shares secrets. The apostle Paul is in the same group. Paul said that God has told me things that I can never tell. That's what a friend does, right? Right? That's what a friend does. It's exactly what a friend does. They talk to you. I need to talk to you. And Paul, God had taken Paul for no reason other than the fact that he had a relationship with him. And, And I have not had many of these experiences. I've had a few. And I guess they're increasing. Thank God for that. You walk into a building, you meet someone, and God will say something to me about this person, about that person. You know, and, you know, you go before God and say, what am I supposed to do with this information? Oh, nothing. Nothing. Just talking to you. Just sharing with you, that's all. And over the years, you, oh, I see. Because you can get the whole prophet thing wrong. And everything Jesus says to you, you no, no, shh, 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 He's just talking to you, just being your friend. Right? And you need to learn to be comfortable with that. Could have that other slide up that talks about what it means when God talks to you? It means that he he may ask you to pray for something. He may tell you something. There's another one, I think, somewhere. He may ask you to pray for someone, or pray, that's it. He may tell you things. He may ask you to pray. He may share things. He may teach you. But none of these things may ever be public. Just private relationship with God. You... And your friend, Jesus Christ. A living God, not a book. A being. An eternal moral being. You know why we worship Jesus, huh? You know why Jesus is the center of worship? Because in eternity past, God is spirit. God the Father, eternal Son, Eternity passed and the Holy Spirit. And at some point in eternity a discussion was held. Mankind's going to fall. You're going to fall. You're going to hell. And God the Father says one of us has to go and become a man. One of us will have to step down and go among them and be one of them. Take on flesh. And pay the cost. Pay the price. You know what Isaiah says. And I said, here I am, Lord. Send me. So Jesus took on a physical body. It's called the Adamic Covenant. And he stepped down into humanity. And then when he was raised from the dead, he was crucified, he was resurrected. He was raised from the dead in a spiritual stroke physical body. But now forever... Forever. God is contained. Jesus, if you like, is contained in that body. Now, by his spirit he travels, But this is why we worship Jesus. Because he laid aside his glory, stepped down here, took on that body, and forever he's there. My point is this, folks. If he did that for me, because I'm human, the least I could do for him is spend some time with him. And be his friend. And in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's what he was wanting from the Apostles. You know. There's that human aspect. We pastored. Our first church we ever pastored was in Wales. uh, And it was a good church. But there was one outstanding individual in that church. Her name was Diane. And she was an intercessor of excellence. She was a scary woman. Because... The anointing upon her was so strong, so great. She used to frighten me, even though she was incredibly gentle. You just get frightened of God. And we would often go around there and see her to find out what was happening. But I tell you this, the distinguishing hallmark of Diane was this. She always knew how God felt. And it wasn't a joke. It wasn't a pretense. You go to Christians and they tell you what they're praying for. They tell you about this, they tell you about that. But the hallmark of that lady I will never forget. She would often be in tears. I said, what are you crying about? And she would say, well, this morning I was in prayer and God spoke to me about his grief for the 10 million abortions or whatever that are currently being sacrificed each year. Or today he told me about this and how he feels about that. Just talking. Just talking. Just talking. Wow. You've got a friendship. You've got a friend. In Jesus Christ. Hey, it's worth climbing that holy hill, isn't it? I wonder what we miss. Have my next slide, please, guys. If I was to put it in a... Keep going there. If I was to put it... Oh, is there a little... That's it. Take a look at this. I don't know how to express this. I don't know how to put it. But let me... Attempt it like this. When people get saved, just like when you enter the United Kingdom, you become a subject in the land. This means very little. It just means you're born again. Okay? It doesn't mean depth of relationship. God loves his subjects. For God so loved the whole kingdom, the whole world. Then, you start to mature a little bit as a Christian. You become a citizen, if you like, in the kingdom. Or a disciple, as we might call it. Then you find out what your gift is. And that's called servanthood, because our gift belongs to the church. Gift belongs to the church, and you give that. But look, you see, you can work your fingers to the bone all the days of your life and still not be a friend of God. John chapter 14, verse 9. Look at this. This is Philip. He became a citizen. He he became a subject, then a citizen, then a servant. But he wasn't a friend at this point. John chapter 14, verse 9. Jesus turns to Philip. They're cutting words. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time? You see these bottom three, folks. You can serve God for years in the church, a bit like Philip just did. But Jesus turns to him and says, Philip, you're not actually close to me at all. You don't actually know me. You don't really know me. And there's another level. It's not to do with our work. It's not to do with your service. It's not to do with the fact that you're born. There's another level of relationship, which is friendship. And friendship with the Lord is, was the ultimate goal of the Apostle Paul, if you remember. In fact, I have that last slide up there, the conclusion. I want you to see this, because this is so beautiful when you catch it. I can never find that scripture. Philippians chapter 3, that's it. Verse 8. Thanks, Gentai. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. Look at this. This is the Apostle Paul, who definitely was a friend of God. Without question. And Paul says this. It's, it's his, he's thinking about the end of his life. And he says, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things and I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ and be found in Him having a righteousness that is not my own that comes from the works of the law but one that is through faith. Wonderful words. Wonderful words. Sorry, could I have the citizen kingdom bit up again, please, there, guys? I, I, I want you to see what Paul, who did so much, Paul, who gave you 16 books in your New Testament. Man, he was a servant. Amen. Amen. But Paul says this. Do you know what? I count all this dung. Crap. I count all this dung. In comparison to this one thing. That I would have Jesus Christ as a friend. And he calls it fellowship. Remember the difference between relationship And fellowship. Paul says this: I long before I die, not the, the word he used was fellowship, to be found in fellowship with Jesus Christ, not just relationship. This is relationship. This is fellowship. Fellowship means same boat. Means you're sitting in the same boat as Jesus Christ, sharing his problems his feelings for mankind and everything that's going up and down in this world. I want to shake the foundations of your concept and mine of my relationship with God and ask myself, how far have I drifted in my fear of God? Eyes forward, look at me, everybody. I was with my brothers here on Friday night. Let me just use that as an example. And I was saying to the Eritreans, they've come from very persecuted and troubled backgrounds. Many of them risked their lives to get here. And when they arrived here, they arrived with a very healthy fear of God. Am I right? Amen. Absolutely. We all picked it up. We love it. Don't lose it. Don't lose it. Don't forget it. Keep it. We need it. (laughs) We need you. And we need to rub shoulders. And your arrival reminded us a little bit about when you got saved. God, you remember when I got saved. (sighs) Right was right. Wrong was wrong. Left was left. And right was right. You got it? Remember that day? Fear of God, crystal clear! No confusion! But after a little bit of time in the church, a little bit of time, things get a bit fuzzy. Before you know it, where have all the blessings gone? Because we fail to realize how we, as Deuteronomy said, we fail to realize... God is a good God. I told you to fear me and to retain that fear because I wanted to sustain the days of your blessing in the land. I'm a good God. But this is how you stay close to me. Don't get familiar. And I ask you, Eritreans, here, pray for us. Pray for us that we would have that same attitude, honor and respect restored towards God that maybe, speaking for myself, I'll tell you the truth. You can lie. Fine. That's up to you. I do not have the fear of God I did. I have diminished in my fear. And I confess that before you, but more I confess that before God. I do not have the fear I once had. My car broke down this week. And I took it in to get it fixed. And as I was waiting on it, I was counting the years. And i have been driving that beast for seven years. And then it gave out under me. (laughs) And I just, oh yeah, I was just looking at the scripture. So God says, here's a piece of advice for you. Every seven years, stop the car. (laughs) Sit down. And think back. And remember what you did, as we looked in the book of Revelation, right? Do what you did when you first got saved. Repeat it. And this is very good for your health and your relationship with your God. Last slide, please. The wonderful thing about London is when all the cars were burned and they arrested 3,250 people, the sun came out And the people of the city thought, do you know what? We can do better than this. The city doesn't have to be this way. And on Twitter and on Skype, they organized themselves across the city and they said, bring your brush, bring your buckets, and let's clean the place up. We can do this. It's been a bad time. But we can do this if we work together, band together. The only sad thing is, It's a pity this force was not so prominent and so evident before the lawlessness. But no problem. My point is, folks, yes, these are troublesome days. But these are days with such promises from God. Such promises. If one of you, one, just one, Helen. If one of you gave all that you have to God. Can you imagine what God can do with you, Agnes? Can you imagine? One of us here today. That's all it takes. One of the biggest Bible college chains in the world was Moody Bible Colleges. And Moody was a young man heading to Bible College. And he was walking along the beach with his friend and he saw starfish. It's a true story. The starfish was all on its own. And he chucked it back and he remembered the story about the the, the, the starfish. And he turned to his friend and he said, Friend, what do you reckon God could do with me if I gave everything? I reckon God could do great, 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 great things in the world. I'm going to do it. He did. (laughs) He did. He said it and he did it. He said it and he did it. He went out and he planted Bible colleges all over the states and around the world in which disciples were were, were trained, churches planted, nations affected. God, would you restore fear amongst us of you this morning? We welcome you. We honor you in this place. We ask you forgiveness for our waywardness and our stupidity and our lostness and our dullness. And God, as we come to communion this morning... Take us back to remember the sacrifice that Christ paid for us.